0: So start saving with knowing where to look. Visit healthlock.com today before you see another healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com.
1: This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback.
0: abraham lincoln radio studio at the george washington broadcast center jack armstrong and joe getty the armstrong and getty show you know him you love him steve hilton Hosts The Next Revolution with Steve Hilton on Fox News. He has a brand new podcast we're going to tell you about. His shirts have no collars, and he joins us now.
3: (laughs) Steve, how are you? (laughs) I'm great. I'm wearing a
0: T-shirt just for you. No,
4: that's how I was picturing you. Hey, we, we had somebody we wanted to play you from another cable news channel and then discuss a little bit. This was on Morning Joe on MSNBC.
5: The retail pharmacy <laughs> giant Walgreens is set to close five stores in San Francisco due to rampant shoplifting and organized retail crime. It's um, insane. Like, Eddie, well, it what? also makes me feel bad that things are so bad for people that they have that this is happening. It's incredibly no. sad.
4: No, it's not incredibly sad they're criminals no 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 this has been happening for some time (laughs) but we also want to be open and, and 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 charitable and mindful that folk are out here hurting
6: even as 90 year old men are flying into space
0: so steve hilton's new podcast is california rebel base and steve when you hear that sort of commentary from mika brzezinski that people are just steving stores to the point that the chains are closing because they're in need do you have any comment
3: it's just insane isn't it what, it, it's just so typical of the lunacy that seems to have taken over the way government works or doesn't work in California and all the cities, and the lunacy with which people comment on it and, and don't understand what's going on. What you've got going on up and down the state is a bunch of people in charge who are literally pro-criminal. The people running the criminal justice they are on the side of the criminals. They are against, actually doing what the first responsibility of government is, which is to basically keep things safe, protect law and order, make it possible for people to do business. But now it's, oh, oh we have to understand that the criminals need to loot Wallcreens, otherwise how they can eat. <laughs> uh, by the way, in a state where they spend so much on welfare and they spend, take so much money in tax and waste it on all these services, and uh, another part of their plan, they, they, they keep going on about the billions that they're spending on homelessness. Obviously, that isn't enough because you've got the homeless people robbing the store. I mean, it's just lunacy, all of it. And basically, this is what you get when you have a one-party rule, when you have a bunch of people in charge with no political challenge, there's no accountability, no one standing up to them. They think they can get away with anything. get then they can because that's what's been happening and then they let the criminals get away with anything i mean this is why people are so angry this is actually why i started the podcast which is called california rebel base and the reason for the name is that actually i think up and down the state there are millions and millions of people fed up with this rebels against this one party rule but they don't know what to do about it because wherever you turn the crazy people are in charge We've got to fight back against it, and we've got to have a kind of really concerted effort. We've got to get together, and we've got to stick with it for the long term, not just a quick thing with a recall or whatever. We've got to really go for it, because you can't go on like this in, in such a state. There's one thing. We love California. I love California. I live here. I live in the Bay Area. I'm in the middle of all this madness. But, you know, we've got to fight back.
4: I can tell by your Valley Girl accent. Um so what what I've been trying to figure out though is like does the president or the California legislature do they actually believe this nonsense or are they just playing to the, the Twitter crowd thinking that the Twitter crowd is much bigger than it actually is? I mean, because I, I just I find it so hard to believe that there are grownups that think, yeah, the people robbing the Walgreens are just, you know, they're just they're struggling because of the covid and they're, they're out well, of Well or...
0: because of systemic racism and the uh, the uh, patriarchy. Yeah. And all the
4: homeless people. Okay, it's just because of the bad economy.
3: So let's let's try and be charitable, okay? And let's try and assume good intent on their part and, and try and understand what's really going on. That's underlying your question, which is they can't just be crazy. Obviously the policies are crazy and the outcomes are crazy, but these people are not literally lunatics right. in charge. Okay. What is going on? What are they trying to do? I think the heart of it is that they've become completely kind of there's two things actually. There's the woke ideology and that is absolutely infecting what you see happening in the schools with the curriculum and a bunch of other stuff where we see that woke ideology. I've traced the origins of it back on my show on Fox News. That's It goes back a 100 years. This didn't just show up with AOC and her Twitter account. That kind of way of thinking about the world that is all about um, these kind of um, categories of identity, that's been going on for a long time, and it originated back in the day in Europe – with this Marxist school of philosophers, the Frankfurt School, who were asking themselves the question, why did the communist revolution that Marx and Engels predicted would take over the world and the workers would rise up and capitalism would be abolished? It didn't really happen. And in in Russia, they did it with force, but it didn't really take off anywhere else. Why was that? And their answer was, actually, it's not just about economics, as Marx argued. There are other things that keep the working class oppressed and the three that they focused on were faith, family, and culture. And they said, those are the things that give the working people this kind of false consciousness that they could, should carry on with capitalism. So we have to undermine those things. We have to attack faith and religion and organized religion. We have to undermine family because the family unit is what keeps people attached to this oppressive working, uh, oppressive capitalist system. And we have to seize the levers of power in culture and make sure that that's under the control of our ideology as well. That's what they all formulated back in the 1920s in Frankfurt. And over the last century, that's been pushed forward, and you can see the fruits of that absolutely applied today. So There's an ideology at work that says actually we do want to um, undermine family and religion and so on, and you can see that being played out. There's another part of it, though. The second part of it, I would say, again, trying to be fair to these Democrats, is that they are so consumed by the desire to appear compassionate and be kind to people and have compassion for people who are suffering that they totally forget that real compassion also includes an element of discipline and you can't just give people things and not expect anything in return um, and and not demand anything in return and expect a decent outcome and so they just think it's all about being compassionate and kind and virtue signals oh we love you know we don't want to offend anyone and it's those two things going together that produce these insane policies
0: Right. Well, as I've said many times, uh, order without compassion is fascism, but compassion without order is chaos and the dissolution of society. And 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 that's what we're seeing. You know, just to dovetail uh, to that thought, we at the Armstrong and Getty show, we have never spent a lot of time talking about the Koch brothers, boogity boogity and George Soros, boogity boogity, because those aren't arguments. That's not a policy argument. It's just citing a boogeyman. But it is worth observing that George Soros and types like him who are very smart, hardcore, far left, Ideologues are very, yeah. very good at manipulating well-meaning, uh, left-leaning voters and people to the extent that they get a Chaso Bodin, uh, elected as the DA yeah. in the San Francisco area or, or what's his face in LA? George Gascon. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, these people are hardcore Marxists, but there's nothing in the, the Karl Marx or the modified Marx, uh, point of view that you were describing that says we must at all times be perfectly honest about about what we're trying to accomplish no quite the contrary they're open with each other about we have got to dupe the well-meaning suburban bourgeoisie into going along with our plans
3: that's exactly right and they know that they they can do that because that that's not who they're going to for their votes and as you say they're funded by people with unlimited amounts of money who don't live in those places they don't have to experience any of this this is what is so enraging about all of this. If you look at someone like George Soros, for example, you know, I, we, we talked about it on my podcast, you know, the other, the other week, like, he lives in probably in some mansion somewhere. He doesn't actually encounter the consequences of this, um, this pro-criminal ideology that he is funding. Um, and that's what's so offensive about it, actually, the people who suffer most, and this is true of most of this lunacy you see being pushed by the, by the Democrats in California, um, The people who suffer the most are the exact same people that they say they are standing up for. The poorest, the most vulnerable, people who are recent immigrants, uh, black people and Latinos and Asian Americans. These are the people who actually end up having to suffer, the, you know, the worst public schools, the worst impact from crime. And that's what I find so offensive about it. And that's why, you know, it's time we said that clearly and don't let them paint People who reject these policies as people who are somehow uncaring or cruel or not interested in social justice, it's the exact opposite. They're the ones who are cruel because it's their policies who hurt, that hurt the most vulnerable.
0: We're talking to Steve Hilton, host of the new podcast, California Rebel Base. You can also catch his Fox News channel show, The Next Revolution, with Steve Hilton every Sunday night. There's more of our conversation coming up.
4: Armstrong, he's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. Are
0: you tired of gulping down the lying filth of the mainstream media? Yeah, we are, too. We try to tell you the truth every single day. Gulping down lying filth.
4: Wow. Nobody wants to sound dumb. Our goal is to help you not sound dumb. We'll inform you, and it'll be fun at the same time. You have to choose between entertainment and information. Combine them both with the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Four episodes available
0: every day via the iHeartRadio app or wherever you download your podcasts. We're back for more of our conversation with Steve Hilton of the Fox News Channel. His new podcast is called California Rebel Base, and our entire conversation can be heard on our podcast Armstrong and Getty Extra Large.
4: Been enjoying your commentary for a while. And I think first became aware of you whenever you'd be a guest on, uh, like the uh, the panel on Brett Baer's show. But how did you come to your political beliefs? Do you do you have any sense of why you're this direction as opposed to the other direction?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I grew up in the UK. My parents are both Hungarian. Um, my stepfather's also Hungarian. So that's my family background. And obviously, you know, my, and most of my family still is, is back in Hungary, which obviously no longer has to suffer the you know, oppression of the communist regime. But I certainly grew up aware of that and traveling to Hungary and seeing my family and just being told that. I remember as a kid, it's a, a weird memory that sticks in your mind. I'm running around on the street. I don't really know. What I was doing with my two cousins, and as a kind of joke, as a young kid, I remember um, yelling on the street the name of the leader, y- Janos Kadar, was the was the communist leader of Hungary at that point. And it wasn't, but it was, it was the sort of softer end of the communist spectrum. It wasn't, it wasn't as bad as you got in some other countries, but you know, it's still pretty bad. And, I, and the name of this leader, I yelled it out and said, "Oh, he's an idiot! He's an idiot!" And I remember so clearly my cousins. Oh, don't say that. And then I got back home, and my aunt gave me this stern lecture about how you can't say things like that. Um, Your cousins will get in trouble, we will be punished as a family. It was really interesting. Hmm. I didn't know anything back in those days about, obviously, these these concepts we talk about now, like council culture or whatever. But it stuck in my mind, this kind of absence of of freedom. You couldn't just say what you wanted. I think the other really formative thing in my life um, was the fact that my, my stepfather was, was, you know, he ran a small business. He was a, in construction. He, he he did house repairs and built small houses. So, and so I spent a lot of time with him on construction sites. Um, you know, we grew up in a kind of, you know, we weren't poor, but it was kind of a sort of classic kind of middle-class family. And that, that idea of working hard and doing an honest day's work and, and literally, you know, working that kind of blue-collar job that that so many people depend on, I think that really stuck with me. Um, and for example, when I, you know, I, I was lucky enough to get to Oxford University, but before I went there, I took a year out and, and I actually worked for a construction company in London and learned skills as a project manager and so on. But I think that whole notion of really understanding that kind of basic hard work mindset, I think those two things, the Hungarian background, and then that culture of, you know, like working hard and, and climbing the ladder of opportunity that in which I've been able to do, I feel so lucky and privileged to be able to have done that myself. And now you just see it being taken away for so many other people by these terrible policies. So I think that's where it comes from.
0: We talk a fair amount about whether it's possible to roll back some of the policies and entitlements that are growing. You were director of strategy for British Prime Minister David Cameron for a handful of years. And and it's so difficult to get an yeah. honest, even-handed Uh, account of Britain's journey through post-war socialist uh, growth of those programs and then the Margaret Thatcher era. Um, Of course, you know, all of the the media and the pop stars and all uh, uh, portray her as far worse than the Wicked Witch of the West, just an oppressive, evil person who is, to to my Mm -hmm. mind, just trying to recapture Great Britain's greatness and and agility as opposed to a giant bloated welfare state. Uh, Growing up, how did you see that that rise and fall? uh, What's your honest assessment of the Thatcher years?
3: Oh, I mean, I, I couldn't be more. I mean, I was so proud that... I actually got to meet her and 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 work, um, work in the uh, for I, for a while. I was a had a junior researcher job in the Conservative Party when she was Prime Minister. No, I, I mean and actually growing up, that was part of that whole story for me because I remember you know th- and I, I guess I absorbed this at the kind of kitchen table or whatever. You know, my stepfather, and my family. You know, we it was very interesting. I'm I mean, again, it's these things you remember. Like Thatcher was on our side because she was for working people. And the Labour Party, the socialist the equivalent of the Democrats, I remember this phrase that was used all the time in our household, they're for the layabouts, you know, which is a pretty kind of aggressive word and whatever. I probably wouldn't use it now, you know, but that's... that's oh,
4: layabouts. I got a bunch of people talking? I'm going to call layabouts for the rest of my life now. <laughs> the
3: layabouts, maybe that's, a, you know, the layabouts. So, look, she did, she, I mean, she saved the country. There's no question about that. And... What was looking like a a really terminal decline for for Britain. And it was and it was and it was focused on two things, which is getting the government, the government. I mean, it's an insane level of central centralization of government power where the government owned and ran pretty much everything in the country. I mean, you know, the airline, the railways, the phone company, the all the utilities, energy, everything. It was owned by the government and run by the government and delivered with no competition, no private sector investment, and everything was falling apart. And so the great innovation was the privatization program to take those assets, put them back in the public sector, sell them to the people so people could be become shareholders and get invested in the success of the economy It's an incredible transformation. The second part was the union reform, the trade union reform. And you, you know, basically, you couldn't do anything in, in the UK without the permission of the unions, not just the government unions, but unions in the private sector as well. So she enabled people who started and run businesses, as I have, you know, I've been an entrepreneur in, in the UK and here in California, and, you know, like that, just that freedom to start your business and, and employ people and, and, find a customer and find customers for your, your product or service, and that, that, that whole enterprise culture is what she created and revived the the economy and society in this in the process. So she was a complete savior for the country, as far as I'm concerned. That's not to say everything she said or did was perfect, but overwhelmingly, she I mean, she saved the country. I think that's the simplest way of putting it.
0: That's Steve Hilton. His new podcast is called California Rebel Base, and our entire conversation can be found on our own podcast, Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. Get it now wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: Armstrong and Getty.
5: From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast
0: Center, Jack Armstrong
3: and Joe Getty.
0: And now, is Armstrong and Getty. We're talking to Steve Hilton. His new podcast is called California Rebel Base, and our entire conversation can be found on our own podcast, Armstrong and Getty Extra Large. Again,
4: back to where do we get our worldviews, and I don't even know where I got mine, really, but... The, back when I was starting out in, uh, you know, after college or whatever and struggling like so many people do and I had three jobs and I was broke and I was. Sleeping on the floor in this sublet apartment because I didn't have a bed. I mean, I did, but yeah. it never, it never crossed my mind that there should be some government program or something. It Correct. just, it never occurred yeah. to me. And so we got that this, you were somehow being cheated. Yeah, I just thought <laughs> I've made some bad decisions, which I had, and uh, and I needed to make some better ones or get a better job. And so we got this five trillion, another five trillion dollars worth of programs, staring us in the face here in a, a couple of weeks. And how do you get people out of the mindset? That it's the government's got to fix my current woes as opposed to me. I, I just I don't even know how you do it.
3: Well, there's a couple of answers to that. I mean, first of all, the, the, and this, this is something that maybe isn't such a comfortable conversation for conservatives or people on the right to have. But it's important we have it. Why is there such an appetite for this far left lunacy as, as we could characterize it? Why is it even being discussed? Why is it so the norm? Actually, for a lot of younger people to say, yeah, of course, we need this. Of course, we need the government to to to, to help me with, you know, buying a house or, or rent or whatever it may be. And, and and every aspect of my life to be subsidized and supported by the government. One of the reasons for that is that they look around and their experience of the free market, free enterprise capitalist system over the last couple of the last decade or so has not been very positive. And they say, well, hang on a second. Why should I buy into the market approach? Because. The market approach means that there's absolutely no chance I'll ever earn enough or be able to save enough to own my own home. That's completely out of reach. Most of these jobs that you look at, you know, they don't pay enough to live on with all the taxes. And And so they look at what's been going on and they say, actually, there's no opportunity. That's all just BS, this idea that if you work hard, you get on and so on. And that also feeds into these terrible social trends, like people thinking, I can't afford to have kids. So what's the point of actually thinking about starting a family because it's never going to be possible. So we've got to acknowledge that actually there are things that have gone wrong with the way capitalism has worked and this is actually one of the things I argue in, in my in my book Positive Populism. But actually, there is, there is something to that populist critique um, and we've got to do something about the fact that a lot of the rewards in the pre-enterprise system have gone to people at the top, which I don't begrudge for a second. As, you know, if you start a business and, you, 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 and it, people love it and Um, want to buy your stuff then great you you know you're meeting a need that's fantastic and you should get rich in the process as an incentive no problem with that but we need to actually look at the policies that for example have made housing so unaffordable um, that people look at that and think I'll never be able to afford a house you've got to do something about that however the answer to a lot of these points is not to go in the kind of government control left-wing direction but actually more in the in the opening things up direction. And the, and the kind of phrase that comes to my mind because I talk about it all the time is, what to me the populist thing is all about, is putting power in people's hands. And that means taking it away from the government to centralize and control and regulate everything. And a good example in relation to housing is actually the way you deal with the problem of affordable housing is not to give people more money so that you're subsidizing it, but actually to, to reduce the amount of regulation that makes it so expensive to build a house in the first place. And to get rid of some of these zoning regulations that mean that it's impossible to, to 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 create enough housing to meet the demand. So the answers will often be more conservative and libertarian. But we've got to at least acknowledge that, you know, why there's this appetite for this incredible march to mm. the left and give positive solutions and not just, I mean, I always condemn it as craziness because it is. But you've also got to offer something positive that says, here's our plan to help you earn a decent living and afford a home and so on, not, min- not massive compulsory government centralization and regulation. There's a better way of doing it. I don't think the right has been very good at that. I don't think Republicans have been very good at that. They haven't been offer- offering solutions, and we need to get into that business as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the, the right has been very lazy about advocating for liberty. We've just assumed for many generations yeah. that people understand it and value it. bunch like of layabouts. Point. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I was Steve, I was actually gonna bring up a different book of yours, More Human, from back in twenty fifteen ish. Something be, like that. Yeah. But I know yeah. you're you're pretty critical about certain aspects of uh, of capitalism. We've often made the, sh- the the point on our show that there are a lot of aspects of capitalism that people point to and say, this is bad. This is ugly. That are the opposite of the free market. They're crony capitalism. They're giant exactly. corporations which write the very laws which pave the way for them to become uh, dominant and ugly and abusive.
3: Exactly. I call them, I, I think, I, I can't remember now, but kind of private sector bureaucracies. That's what they are. They're like government bureaucracies. They happen to be in the private sector. And they're very cozy with the, um, the people who make the laws. And, and, and in fact, you know, that's why I'm so, I've been so focused on the corruption that we see in our system. Because actually, you literally have, particularly at the state level where there's less scrutiny, you have the businesses, um, who buy up the, uh, Legislators—they give that. You don't need to give that much money. Actually, a state legislator doesn't require that much money for their campaigns. You know, it's pretty cheap to buy them up, and then you get in the room with them, and you literally send around what they call model legislation, and then they and they um, and they implement it. But of course, we can't be one-sided about this. I mean, particularly in California. I mean, that's also happening from, and the left never talk about this. They love attacking the Koch brothers and, and, and big business and dirty, you know, dark money and politics and all this stuff. But they never talk about the fact that you've got exactly the same going on with the government unions. Oh, Which they is, own the state. The system is such a they own the state because of the government unions. That's no different. All of it is corrupt. That's why, coming back to what I've argued, you know, you put power in people's hands. So you get rid of all this corruption and cronyism wherever it comes from, whether that comes from big business or from the big unions, because no one should have too much power. It's the concentration of power. That's, that's the argument I made in more human and positive populism. When you have too much power in too few hands, that's when you get problems, whether that's in the economy or with government and politics. You've got to take the power away and put it in people's hands. And that's the, that's the thing I've always... I just want to make this point that I think is really important for people who hear the word populist, and you see commentators constantly say, well, you've got... Left-wing populism and right-wing populism, and you've got the kind of Trumpy right-wing populism, and then you've got Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC, and they're populists of the left. I don't think you can be a populist on the left, because what they're all about is taking power out of people's hands and putting it in the government's hands and centralizing power there. And actually the most incoherent on this is Elizabeth Warren who actually, I think, makes a pretty good case about how there's too much monopoly power in the private sector. We've got to break up big tech and so on. I agree with her about that. But in the same breath, she goes on about centralizing power in the public sector, and having the federal government in Washington start controlling everything, childcare and family policy and housing and you name it. So she's all for breaking up power in the private sector, and I'm with her on that. But in the public sector, she wants to centralize power. And I think we should be consistent and say we want to put power in people's hands right across the board.
0: Steve Hilton's podcast is California Rebel Base. Steve, uh, you've been generous with your time talking to a couple of guys. We couldn't get into Oxford unless we were there to clean the toilets. (laughs) (laughs) But really enjoyed the conversation. I hope we can do it again.
3: Fantastic. It was a great pleasure. See you soon.
0: It is remarkable the extent to which people who grew up under communism or uh, are the children of people who grew up under communism are they're practically 100% conservatives. I think that speaks volumes.
4: Is there a name for that accent? I mean, we all just call it an English accent, but in America, you know, we've got all kinds of different accents, northeastern, southern, midwest.
0: I don't know if there's a name for it, but I would describe it as educated London.
4: Yeah, probably something like
0: that, huh? I mean, he's not like a Manchester fisherman Ow! or anything like that. Right, no, no, not Kyle. Co- what are you doing?
1: Yeah, I'm not of that. What's sure. all this then? No. <laughs>
0: Armstrong
1: and Getty. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect.
5: the armstrong and getty show
4: slow living which is a bit of a movement i guess i like the sound of it hashtags for it the concept of slow living is trending on social media and has been for a while that's where you do more self-care and stop overfilling your calendar and doing as much as possible to stay busy I'm not one of those people. Well, I'll just read this.
0: No, I have tried to make clear through the years, I am a man who craves leisure.
4: Does it seem like some people are trying to stay busy, like they've got a jam-packed calendar and they brag about it like it's a good thing? Yeah, I. some people seem to really enjoy being busy um, and uh, see it here. Uh, I'll read just from this news story. It's as though for them, being busy automatically means you're successful, popular, productive, and driven. Important. Important. There are
0: all sorts of people depending on you. I admit it. It's a conceit I have felt at times. God dang
4: it. I get, I'm get perfectly happy not being busy. And think what you will of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've, I've definitely turned that corner. I'm, I'm thinking about the past.
4: Yeah. Um, this whole thing, because it doesn't actually work, is uh, why slow living might be starting to pick up a, a little steam. There are three and a half million posts on hashtag the art of slow living on Instagram. Things like self-care, me time, saying no to invites now being celebrated on social media. Slow living fans argue it's better when you can appreciate things as they happen rather than manically ticking things off from your to-do list. There you go.
0: Um, uh, Yeah, I I think that's true. It probably gets back to just anthropological realities that. Human beings aren't made to go, you know, bam, 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 all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long. Yeah, just the the rhythms of life have gotten replaced by algorithms. That's yeah, just that didn't have to make any sense. It sounded kind of clever. Well, I don't sounded feel, like it might be a headline in you know, like the Wapo.
4: I don't feel more important when I'm busy. I just feel
0: beset, <laughs> like I'm being hunted, beleaguered. <laughs> The rhythms of life have been replaced by the algorithms of life.
4: That's pretty good, isn't it? That's pretty Too good. wordy? I don't know. Uh, they think it began in Italy with the slow food movement, which was getting back to, like, take a long time to cook a meal. That's perfectly okay. Nobody cares. In fact, people enjoy it. But anyway, so that's enough. Can that. I
0: pop an olive in my mouth now and again? Snitch a little piece of pepperoni? That's all I ask.
4: A list of things people only pretend to like. Now, I don't know who compiled these, but this was handed to me by Hanson, and I'll read it. You won't agree with all of them. I don't pretend to like some of these. I actually like them. I think you might feel that way, too.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, I think. I don't know. This It's funny. That reminds me of the whole, uh, you know, be, be feeling important because you're busy thing. I, I'm at a point in my life where I don't feel the need to, like, put on airs for anybody.
4: And it says here, somehow, other people's kids was not the most popular answer. <laughs> <laughs> I like some other people's kids but not all of them. Sure. Um here's
0: some of the list. You feel differently about your own than other people's, no doubt. Company holiday parties. NFTs. <laughs>
4: TV show TV shows like The Voice and The Mask Singer. I think it's funny that they're really popular, but you're thinking people are just pretending to like them. I
0: don't know what that is. I got my what the hell look on my face, and I'm not sure I get that. But okay, watching golf on TV, love it. Right, actually, I know I knew you would. Uh, I've cut back. But... Neighbors,
4: it's similar to the other people's kids. Some of them I like, some of them I don't.
0: Throughout my life, yeah. well, and I think it's just uh, it's one of your social lubricants to be friendly and and outwardly uh, you know uh, likable. And liking towards your neighbors—it's a mm-hmm. good idea. Well, I mean, what's the substitute? Uh, you know, aloof or hostile—it <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't help the hood. Vacationing with extended family, uh,
4: pregnancy—there's well, ups and downs, right? i i was sitting next to a woman on a plane one time. I think she was she pregnant at the time, or just telling me about her pregnancy. And if she wasn't pregnant at the time, how did she start telling me this anyway? She was one of those weird creatures that uh, some of you women who have not had this experience will really hate to hear, uh, who just never felt better than when they were pregnant. Mm. I just felt great. I just had I had more energy and I felt more positive. And it's a, you know, I've I've known a number of women who felt like they were going to throw up every second of their nine month pregnancy, and uh, and there was nothing really enjoyable about it. Yeah, the anticipation re- of perhaps having a kid.
0: I remember Judy's experiences were more ups and downs. There were definitely times where you feel super dynamic and energetic and positive and that sort of thing. Cool. Yeah.
4: If you get that, you're lucky. If I felt like I was going to throw up all the time, I wouldn't really enjoy it. Uh, Running. No, I've never claimed that I like running. I'm not going to pretend to like running. I've talked about this before because I go to work uh, early in the morning. I see the people, or I leave for work early in the morning. I see the people out there running. Running. Before the sun even comes up, which uh-huh. means they set their alarm like at least an hour early to get out of bed, put on their clothes, stretch a little, run. Cause then you're going to have to shower and all that sort of stuff and get dressed. Can't I just, imagine. I it. can't either. Oh, yeah. Can't either. I've tried it before and it didn't last two days. I mean, the first day I hit the snooze and thought, I'll run tomorrow. I'll just have to get to sleep earlier tonight because clearly this is too early to get. I just. Man you you are you're you're so different from me. It's like you're a giraffe and I'm a human or vice versa. I mean I just I am so not built for that.
0: Well, humans have a tendency to attribute their strengths to character and their weaknesses to genetics or whatever and never the opposite. Uh I would suggest people who do do that it's not that they are strong-willed and disciplined, it's that they don't need nearly as much sleep as other people.
4: God dang it. It's just like, just thinking about it. I've tried it enough times, I know it's it's never going to happen, so I will never try it again. I remember reading something in the New York Times a, a while back about uh, the great thing about turning 50, and for whatever reason they chose that age, as when you can just give up on things that you're never going to be good at. Just don't think about them anymore. I'm never going to do Let this. Let it go. I'm never going to do this. I'm never going to try to do this again. I'm never going to daydream about doing this <laughs> ever again. And it is, it is uh, you know. It is a relaxing feeling, and that is one of them on my list. I'm never going to set my alarm to get up early and work out or run or whatever. It's just not, not gonna happen. an effing chance. <laughs> have you ever tried it? Did uh, I have a couple of times and failed very quickly?
0: No, I've noodled through the idea of getting up 15 minutes early and doing some push-ups or whatever. No, it's not happening. <laughs> Michael, of course, you know, up no, dark 30 no, all the no, time. No, no I'm yeah. sound asleep. Yeah. Yeah. But I see
4: those people, and I just I just look at them, and I think, wow, that's amazing that you can do that. You could have slept another hour, but you're out here running. Like it's sometimes in the cold or the rain or whatever. Sure, yeah. Well, I admire them in a I way. I do, but, too. Uh, I admire them in every way, but it's just I'm just not built that way. and I can accept that. Uh, so uh, that's on the list of things that people only pretend to like. Running, how about going to church on Sunday? Eh, for some people, that's probably true. Not everybody.
0: Yeah, it was always a struggle for me. Sorry, God. Influencers.
4: I've never pretended <laughs> to like influencers. No. Facebook. Do some of you pretend to like it, but you just got sucked into it? The injected lips trend.
0: I. Oh, yeah. Ladies, just the way God made you. You're beautiful. You're sexy. Stop it. You just need bigger lips.
4: That's exactly. what you're saying?
0: That's what I was leading up to. Other than those tiny lips of yours, <laughs> no one would kiss them. If you don't look like you're in the middle of anaphylactic shock, I won't come near you. Giant lips.
4: Uh, small talk. No, I've never pretended to like small talk. Working a corporate job. Using phrases like manage client expectations, circle back, <laughs> etc. <cetera. laughs> uh,
0: I don't know. I think people do get uh, the drawn into the tribal aspect of that. They feel like they're fitting in. By spouting the same uh, jargon as everybody else,
4: you didn't like going to church. Eh, Did you pretend no. to like it?
0: Uh, I don't even know what that means. I mean, I didn't like walk around saying, "You know, I don't want to be here. <laughs> this is not enjoyable for me." Good to see you too. I don't like this.
4: Are there any announcements this morning? Yes. I hate being here.
0: No, I would kind of, I would squirm my way through and check my watch and look at the the, the bulletin and see how much was left, pretty much constantly. <laughs>
4: Looking at the schedule and seeing how much is left is kind of fit in with, like, every meeting I've ever been to, whether it's God or the CEO or history class or whatever.
0: Yeah, daydreaming and stuff. I'm sorry I'm a bad person. I'm nice to people. I'm kind, I think. I'm forgiving. I I, I try to live a Jesusy life. I just can't sit still in church. I just, I'd rather, I just rather read the Bible and think about it than sit there. Ah, so uncomfortable. You know, uh, the Bible.
4: There's no chance anybody that's ever ministered to me is going to hear this. I think they're all long, uh, long dead or live somewhere far away. But I have heard very few inspiring sermons in church in my life. Very few.
0: I grew up with a couple of terrific well, preachers. Cool. Just terrific.
4: Cool. I've seen them on YouTube and stuff like that. but
0: Which helped. I mean, it really helped. Would help. You'd, you'd look forward to hearing what they were going to say. But then there have been some real duds. To...
4: Joe needs to be entertained. Salvation isn't enough. It's just Joe's got to be entertained.
0: Yeah, fair, fairly stated there. Fair enough.
2: The